0: Hey everyone! Thanks for joining us. Um, this is the long-awaited session. We booked it back in May with Holly Terrell, special education attorney. And today we're going to be talking about Andrew F, a landmark decision in the disability community, and you know, I think some clarity or conversation deserves to be had around it. So, thanks for coming back, Holly, and joining us.
1: Thank
0: you. I hope you've had a good summer.
1: <laughs> I have had a summer probably uh, much like everyone else's summer. (laughs) Very long. (laughs) So yeah, it just feels like it's been summer for a very long time. But, uh, you know,
0: I definitely agree with that. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I thought I might have a couple of children uh, making uh, their debut today, but um, I found someone to help me out with that. So so that's good. I do have a, a cat that might that uh, circle around at some point, so.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, I, I've uh, I've had my son pop in a few times.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: But let's talk about Indra F. So uh, I wanna say Indra F came out in 2017, is that right? Look,
1: I can get you the exact date i pulled up. But yes, it's um, it was argued, decided March 22nd, 2017. Actually argued it in January, so they came out with the decision. Yeah.
0: So, just for people who might not know what Andrew F is, what is Andrew F exactly?
1: Um, it's a Supreme Court case, U.S. Supreme Court case, which is you know a really big deal. Um, for the Supreme Court to take any case is a huge, huge thing. Um, uh, for them yeah. to even look at it, and um. So, this was like like you had mentioned, um, it was decided in 2017, <clears throat> and it dealt specifically with the standard for faith. And um, the decision is unanimous, <clears throat> it was delivered by Roberts, uh, Chief Justice. And um, so, uh, but uh, it's so for. I mean, unanimous decision is you know a big deal. I mean, that's yeah, pretty set in stone there. And um, for them to all get on the same page, which I think we were discussing, um, it, it's interesting. Sometimes people from both sides, um, and I say both sides, or you know, both parties, both you know, different uh, uh, different politics, can get on board when it comes to um, special education issues. Sometimes. Um, uh, the way they're implemented and, and other things, not, not so much. But um, but I, I do see uh, people reaching across the, the line a little bit more, I think, when it comes to getting these things done. And I think the fact that it's a unanimous decision is, uh, is pretty cool and, and yeah. indicative of that. So, yeah. So
0: I know some of the history of the case. So it took seven years. From the beginning of their case, if, if my memory serving me correctly, to get to this Supreme Court
1: decision, but probably. Um, <laughs> I know that just going to federal court in the Southern District can take a number of years, and that's you know um, not always the first step. Um, first steps usually the due process hearing. So you know you go through the due process hearing, and then um, which takes a little while. And um, then, let's say someone appeals, you go to the Southern District where I am. Um, it, you know, in Texas, uh, the way our system is tiered, we um, when we appeal, we go to the federal district court, um, mm-hmm. and then it can be appealed from there um, to the Fifth Circuit, and then it can be appealed from there to the Supreme Court. So there are a number of steps and. Um, a lot of work for the attorneys. Uh, it's a lot of a lot of work, getting just getting prepared for a due process hearing is a lot of work. So all of that um, takes a while, and um, so it does not surprise me at all whatsoever that it would take this long. And um, you know, in seven years, I mean, the kid is well seven years older, so right. they're not in the place. So. I am very um, humbled and grateful to people who make this type of sacrifice, knowing that it's not going to directly benefit them so much because of the length of time, it's uh, mm-hmm. they are doing it for the better good. And i um, very, very grateful for, for the type of people who do these things, this family.
0: So what I know is that it was a it was a Denver-based or Douglas County, which I think is mm-hmm. the city of Denver, Colorado-based case. It was an autistic boy. His name is Andrew. Yeah. Uh, the family's last name was withheld, at least for the longest time. Um, the family had tried to get him services through his school they kept hitting walls they pulled him from the school and they put him into a private school Mm -hmm. but they had the means to pursue action against the school that had failed their child so they filed due process um you know they they i i what i read about them is you know really they just they just took it the length and like Mm -hmm. you said they knew that it wouldn't benefit their son but they were unwilling to stand for what had happened to happen to any other child. Mm-hmm. So the issue was that their son wasn't, it was like he was sort of dismissed of, oh, he's autistic, so we just don't have to try enough, which is why uh, Judge Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, put in that uh, de minimis language, is my understanding, within to within his decision. Yeah.
1: They, um, you don't. No, go. <laughs> I'm bad at thought. Um, the de minimis language, so this is a Tenth Circuit case, or it, it was. Um, and so when the Supreme, U.S. Supreme Court is looking at it, it's coming up from the Tenth Circuit. And you know before that, they have the District Court and everything like that. But in um, the standard at that time was the de minimis standard, and, um, and it's uh, more than a de minimis. Um, test, and that's the the test that the Tenth Circuit applied, and that's what the Supreme Court was looking at. You know, is is this the right standard? Is it is it not? And they found that it was not the right standard. And um, let me see if I can find if um, I can find the actual. Um, it's uh, this is from the uh, opinion, the of opinion, and it talks about the Tenth Circuit affirming the lower district uh, court's decision, and um, says that the Tenth Circuit interpreted Rally, which is the case that set the standard for fate before Andrew. Um, uh, they interpreted Rally to establish a rule that a child's IEP is adequate as long as it is calculated to confer an educational benefit that is merely more than de minimis. and um, and they concluded that Andrew's IEP had been reasonably calculated to enable him to make some progress. And that's why the 10th Circuit said that he received uh, free appropriate public education. And the, um, the Supreme Court said, no, um, that, that's, that wasn't enough. Um, and then they uh, they gave the new standard that we have today in Andrew. So, um, which, I mean, you can say it if you want to say the new standard
0: yeah I mean, what it, part of their history too is they put him in a school that had an annual tuition of seventy thousand dollars a year. And the child started to have immediate improvement as well versus you know the almost non-existent improvement that he had had before. Like you said, it was they were defeated in uh, three courts before they went to the Supreme Court. Um, but less than three months later, the Supreme Court issues a unanimous ruling citing on behalf of the family. We did have one question come in. Heidi, yes, the family was paid $1.32 million in settlement after the Supreme Court decision.
1: That is information I wasn't aware of. That That's, that's pretty, that, you know, that they did get some benefit from it, which it which is nice. And, and, you know, that can happen, but, I, um, it, it's definitely risky when you're, you know, going to a court after court after court. So, yeah. Um, and this is a decision that the federal court, I mean, the U.S. Supreme Court, in my opinion, had, I mean, they had to make this decision because they had, you know, Circuit had to follow Rally before then. Now, you know, how that, how they interpreted Rally and and everything and applied the facts to the law is. For discussion, I guess, but um, but um, yeah, it uh, it, it's really it's it's really cool to know that um, every um, justice's eyes were on this topic, and um, because I I don't know about you, but you know we we both have kids who have um, some special needs, and um, I always. I don't really feel like these issues get enough eyes, and to know that you know Ruth's eyes are on this, Chief Justice Roberts, like all their eyes were looking at this, and they were discussing this one thing for a period of time, just almost takes my breath away. So yeah, um, yeah, it's very, it's very, very important to me.
0: I mean, I remember when the decision came out, you know, the ripple effect within the community from an emotional point of view of like, finally, yes, you know, something more than, Um, but being a, being an advocate and sitting in IEP meetings, you know, and having looked at the school team and gone, guys. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I agree. No, you need to do A child with what you're claiming is an average IQ, which I claim is an above average IQ because we disagree on how the IQ is being interpreted, shouldn't be reading multiple grade levels behind the grade that they're in. he's capable of significantly more. You're not even pushing him to what the standard should be. You're accepting less than your indirect violation of IndureF. And they just kind of go, eh.
1: (laughs) <laughs> and and, but, and I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll just so um, so we have it out there with the, the standard is uh, the under standard to meet um, their obligation under the IDEA. The school must offer an IEP that's reasonably calculated to <clears throat> to enable a child to make progress um, appropriate in light of that child's circumstances. So um, it's. Sounds a lot, lot better than what was it? Uh, educational benefit that is um, nearly more than de minimis. Um, from a respect angle, I feel like it's a much more respectful thing. <laughs> Um which, which is also which is important to me in a way. I want um, I want my child to be respected, um, and it, it sounds you know more than de minimis it, it sounds very. Disrespectful, in my opinion, and so so. There's that, which is which is good. And um, uh, going back to, or kind of think what you were touching on um, is how it's changed uh, the landscape in special education. Um, and I don't want to be Stephanie's owner, but I, I, I don't know, <laughs> at least where I am, I, I don't see a lot of changes. Um, I, I do like, I think it is helpful that we are more focused on progress than educational benefits because I think there's a difference. Um, it might, I mean, I think a child being exposed to anything bestows educational benefits does that mean that he's making or she's making progress on their goals the goals that we agreed on that we set out you know no so i think that this does make it easier uh to argue like i mean i do to process hearings um so i that's what i think about but you know i can i can set down the class the class And you know, then I can look at the goals and then, you know, I can go and there's like a, a circular thing. I actually think I made a demonstrative of the, um, of an ineffective, I think I might've it to you, an ineffective IEP where if one of those pieces is not right, like the plots aren't right or the goals aren't right, or the, um, the progress notes aren't right, you know, we're not keeping good data, it affects all those other pieces of the IEP. And so now, uh, for me at least it's easier to go into those things and um have a little bit more structure and although it's a very subjective standard still to me it feels more objective than it was <laughs> if that makes sense
0: yeah no i i think it does but that leads me to a question that you and i kind of touched on when we talked last night um because you are doing due process hearings, we're three years out now from the Supreme Court decision. Have you seen? Has it in? Has it
1: impacted change? Um, I haven't personally seen a lot of difference um, in the decisions. Um, yeah, I'm I, I'm one attorney. Um, I'd be interested to take a poll of all the attorneys, you know, 10, 15 attorneys that do what I do in Texas. Um, And they might have different opinions on it. I personally haven't really uh, seen uh, a lot of difference um, because it is still very subjective. And so, you know the um, the jurisdiction you're in. Like, you know the jurisdiction we're in is kind of a tough one, and uh, so it, it might. Be. <laughs> and so in different states, it it might be totally different. This might yeah. have had a, a very large impact. I, I don't know because I don't practice there. But um in the state I'm in, um I haven't really noticed um, a big difference. Um, I I like it because it does make my job much more. You know, I feel like I have an easier time arguing things and an easier time setting up um, what I need to set up for an appeal later, like if I need to do that. So Mm that's easier, which is always an option. So kind of have to look forward to that. Um, But yeah, not still pretty subjective. And um, I was actually going to kind of go down to another place in. um, in this opinion, if you don't mind, me a second. Yep. Yeah, no, please. Um, it takes a um, lot, um, which is good. Yeah, good they had said something about, the actual standard and the subjectivity of it. Um, they do mention the IEP must aim to enable the child to make progress, and there's one thing in here that. Okay, um, it's it's actually on page. If I can find the page, of the end, it's on. Um, it's like page fifteen. Um, and the court says we will not attempt to elaborate on what appropriate like appropriate progress will look like from case to case. Um, it is in the nature of the act, in the standard we adopt to resist such an effort. The adequacy of a given, given IEP turns on the unique circumstances of the child for whom it was created. Um, and then they say this absence of a bright line will however should not be mistaken for an invitation to the courts to substitute their own notions of sound educational policy for those of the school authorities, uh, which they review, and that's actually from uh, Raleigh. Um, so, um, so they uh, the Supreme Court knows that this is a subjective standard, and I don't know how they would totally get away from a subjective standard like we have um, because that's the whole point of the IDEA is to look at the individual child so it is going to vary from child to child to child and um, and that's really good But it also makes it really difficult when we're trying to figure out this um, what this state standard really means
0: so I'm gonna hit you with a question question that I haven't told you I was going to ask you because it just popped into my head. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. So, um, I mean, obviously I do a great deal of reading, right. And, um, I've been pretty deep lately into studying Seidenberg's book, Language at the Speed of Sight. And in reading his book after having read several others and several different, um, scientific papers, Mm -hmm. I was at a place where I was like, he he said something in particular that made me go I think I finally understand what the issue is because you you do hear people say oh dyslexia is not real I mean cuz this page is very specifically dedicated to what I call the D so you know dyslexia is the heart of that so um we know for a fact that dyslexia is real you know the the scientific community is very um, agreed upon that fact. What Seidenberg was able to point out though, was that the prevalence of dyslexia, or maybe necessarily whatever the finite definition of dyslexia is, is up for debate. They agree on many facets, but they don't agree like in totality, if you will, on, how necessarily to define it. Yes, the International Dyslexia Association has a definition and the neuroscience community has a rough definition that they're sort of working around, but being scientists, you know, they haven't gotten to this to, to this place of complete totality. Um, dyslexia is definitely a definition of privilege because then if you go into an underfunded school in a poor community, the definition doesn't help because then they're arguing that the children maybe haven't had enough opportunity therefore in order to be able to define the ld so you can't in that particular situation you can't for lack of a better phrase weed out the ld from those that are just not being given adequate opportunity which again makes the whole argument for structured literacy even that much more profound but The point that I wanna get to is when I was reading what Seidenberg had written, I was like, that's the problem. Education's argument exists within the gray space of where the scientific community doesn't agree on certain facets about what dyslexia is and how necessarily to define it or work with it. And because it is an individual based thing, no two children are exactly alike, whether they're normative or dyslexic, it doesn't matter. No two children, no two brains are exactly alike that's where the that's where they anchor their denial and that's where they're anchoring their antiquated view (laughs) um and we need decisions like injure f but we need more i think in order to really we we either need the scientific community to come together and say okay you know here's the plateau here's everything that we definitely agree on you know and here's the gray space that we're still setting however you know we know all of this so you can't deny all of this and you know we need almost need the laws necessarily to back it i mean idea is great and i know um, sally shaywitz said at one point that she feels like idea needs a 14th definition because dyslexia needs to be the 14th classification it doesn't need to fall under specific language disability because the way that Bennett Shewitz describes it is saying, um, sorry, specific learning disability, the way that Bennett describes it is saying specific learning disability is like saying somebody has a cold versus saying dyslexia is like diagnosing somebody with strep throat. So there is a question in there. I'm kind of
1: scared of the question now. (laughs)
0: Um, so from your experience as an, as an attorney representing families like mine, um, no, you're not my attorney. No, you haven't represented me in anything, but you know, you do represent families like mine. Do you, do you find that, do you find that the denial and even some of the decisions that are made are just because it's seated in that gray space of their inability to agree, or is it something else more profound?
1: and you, this question is specifically with respect to dyslexia or just yes. overall um
0: i think dyslexia if you can make it overall then do but let's do dyslexia first
1: <laughs> okay um first we'll do a bigger picture um whatever I'm the point um <laughs> so uh, there is um difference between you know let's say um, the DSM you know what the DSM says uh, you know autism that, mm-hmm. that was a that's a big one um, their criteria for autism and where uh, where the school um, goes in and does an FIE and determines uh, whether the child has um, has autism as a criteria for for, um to qualify for services under the IDEA. so there is gray space in there and I know that so that's one you know bigger area and that happens with a lot of different things. Um, I know that I uh, a lot of times um, I will have uh, schools come back and there will be um, a child who really needs help with reading or really or, or whatever math or whatever it is. And so they do the, like, they do a KTA, like an academic, the the test, you know, on reading and all the different things. And then they do the intelligence test, um, a whisker or something like that. And so, and then um, in order for them to diagnose or not diagnose, in order for them to recommend the art committee um, accepts, you know, a certain criteria for the child to qualify uh, for special education um, one of the um, I never remember what they're called, but um, one of the the things under the uh, the intelligence test, like the crystallized intelligence, uh, working memory, those things, they have to match up with whatever problems the child is having in reading or math or whatever. So and, and they're different, and I don't know which ones match up with which. I have to figure them out for every single case and talk to my you know people who know so i know that that is one way that um the child will not be identified with a specific learning disability if you know they're not having a problem with um this specific you know processing speed or what or whatever it is and um so that's a way that that won't happen and that happens pretty often um with respect to dyslexia dyslexia is a different animal, um, and um, I know that um, there's a lot of back and forth. You know, should it be um, a learning disability under you know like a, a SLD in reading? Um, should it be different? I know that in Texas, at least, a lot of the kids, um, sometimes just almost all the kids with uh, dyslexia are uh, under 504 and not under, uh, they don't have IEPs and they'll receive yeah. services under 504, which, yeah. you know, by the way, you can receive anything under 504, you just don't have the protections and you usually don't receive as much, just for a practical matter. Right. Um, now, I'm trying to answer your your question. Um, so if you could kind of guide me in the direction, because I think I'm getting off a little bit, so kind of guide me back. <laughs>
0: No, uh, no. I think you're still. I think you're still on the road. What I was talking about was the denial of dyslexia within the scientific gray space.
1: Okay. The I'm denial of it, it actually exists. Kids. Um. Okay. I'm gonna. I'm trying to figure out a way to say this and still be a nice person. Um. So, um dyslexia is hard. I mean, I know we've talked about this. Dyslexia is one of the things that I have the most trouble figuring out, and I, I've taken, I've had lots of different cases, lots of cases where my uh, the kids have had dyslexia, and there's so every kid is so different, you know, and there's different facets of it, and you know, some kids have more problems with the one of the seven thing, you know, there some kids have more problems with this, and some kids have more problems with that. And it's not this cookie cutter, you know, every kid with dyslexia needs this one thing. So um, I personally, I think the, just the complicated nature of dyslexia itself has been somewhat uh, maybe overlooked. And um, I don't, I'm trying to, again, trying to think how to say this. And it would seem that you would need someone very experienced to be able to make um, really good determinations and recommendations for dyslexia services for an individual child. Um, So sometimes we have uh, more cookie-cutter-ish tests, I think, and um, that might be one of the problems. And um, yeah, um, I I, I'm kind of I'm trying to say this without saying this, I guess. Um, I I think it's maybe an experience thing. Um, Um,
0: No, I get that, and I do agree because I think when people are trying to do evaluations, you know, they're looking at a the same set of evaluations across every single child. And you may not be using an an evaluation which may be looking at certain facets. Like I had to push for an evaluation specifically on orthographic processing. Even after I had the FIE in place and should clarify FIE is a Texas term. full individual evaluation. Because I know when I've spoken to people in other states, they're like, FI what? Um, So I think states tend to call the evaluation phase for idea differently. Um, But I had to push for orthographic processing. Now I'm having to push for, they recognize that he has dysgraphia, but they've never tested him to see where his writing, at what grade level his writing ability function is at. So I'm pushing for that at the moment, um, which is just for my own knowledge sake, because you and I both know they don't and they don't know how to deal with dysgraphia. And they, you know, they're it's certainly
1: not, I know. I'm, I'm getting ready for dyscalculia when that hits. I'm like, <laughs> there yet. I work. So I was an advocate
0: for one parent in one of the surround, one of the many surrounding school districts in the Houston area. And I said dyscalculia, and they were like, "No, we don't say that word." And I went, "Why not?" They go, "We don't say that. We say SLD in math." And I said, "You're going to say the word." They they go, "No, we flat out refuse. We're not going to say the word." And I was like, "Watch me. You're going to say the word. You <laughs> want to call it math?" This to you? Yeah. Oh, I- <laughs> I'll tell you which one offline. I'll text yeah. it to you because I'm not going to say it on here. <laughs> i'll tell you which school district <laughs> but they, i mean they were just out of it they were like we're not going to say that word and i was just like you need to be saying that word, <laughs> we're not say
1: that word.
0: yeah that that meeting didn't end well the parents got very angry so <laughs> but it was just it was just one of those like crazy things and to The last, so I I pushed for a new evaluation because of Texas getting into the legal trouble that it did with the Department of Education and the center that happened. So I wanted very specific changes made to his IEP plan that they refused to do without doing a new evaluation, which I was like, you know, fine, we're only a year and a half out from the other evaluation, but sure, let's redo it. So they redid it because my son is evaluated every March by a very specific facility and the GORT is administered every single March, they administered the FAR as part of his FIE because they couldn't give him the GORT. Mm-hmm. Well, the FAR at least tells us a lot. I mean, it's not one that the district commonly uses and it was, it was so informative because it looks at things that the other evaluations that they typically use are looking at. And I was, I'm always sort of dumbfounded by that process, but I shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. I mean, maybe I'm always hopeful and then I just, (laughs) which is weird because I'm one of those people who always expects the worst, but hopes for the best. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) I think when it comes to evaluations, I'm always hoping for the best and then really disappointed when that's not what happens.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially when it's your kid. Um, And, yeah. And yeah, I just keep going back to the fact that dyslexia there's just so much and it's for me it's one of the most confusing um criteria that I deal with and every single time I have to go through and research and I learn new stuff and I will tell you though that dyslexia moms do know their stuff. And that's where I get. I know I've asked you questions, and I think I've asked you questions a lot. And um, because um, y'all, y'all know your stuff. I would, Yeah, there, there's a couple of a couple of parents um, parents who have kids with dyslexia, and then um, my parents who have kids with uh, diabetes. And I've never been. So it may be epilepsy, but I've never been so impressed by the vast amount of knowledge these parents have acquired. And I get to learn it all. Uh, so and it's, yeah, I, I like learning it all, but um, it's, it's very, very impressive. And thank you. so that, that's where I have to learn from my parents uh, most of the time, because I, I honestly I can't get all of that reading. I can't, I can't, I can't get all, all of what they know. They know too much. Um, so you know, I've got these parents who this is their life, and you've got these cookie cutter tests, and yeah it, it's just easier to, to to do it like that um for schools um and um you know, the question of giving different dyslexia services to different children, I know that that's an issue as well, <laughs> so um you know yeah yeah um so uh i don't know yeah i mean i'll just say
0: i mean that's one of the most frustrating things from a parent's point of view is because you know you take a kid and you stick them in a group and you assume every kid in the group is at the same level and has the same weaknesses and needs exactly the same kind of supports and it's like so Structured literacy, yes. Every child in this country, regardless of dyslexic or normative, it doesn't matter, would benefit from structured literacy. I'll enter into that debate with anybody that wants to enter into that debate. (laughs) The science is there. The proof is there. Case closed. But um, from a remediation point of view, to take it to take just this unknown group of kids and stick them together and go okay we're going to stick you in exactly the same lesson in exactly the same place and we're going to move you at exactly the same pace mm-hmm. that is never going to be an approach that works but unfortunately that's what our schools do because they don't have the knowledge to be prescriptive for children per child
1: <clears throat> yes and um i was thinking about about my daughter and you know she has down syndrome and I do think we've gotten away you know, from that, like, oh, all kids with Down syndrome, they need this, and they go in this class. And now, to me, and to probably a lot of people, that sounds really nonsensical. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm willing to bet that back in the day, before I was practicing, that's probably how it was. Like, oh, you have Down syndrome, you go to room A. And yeah. uh, that, that's not how it is now, and that's not how it should be. Um, so um, I'm hopeful that the same kind of progress will be made um, with dyslexia and with um, other criteria. So.
0: I'm very hopeful as well. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing this. <laughs> <laughs> but I <I've never laughs> <learned. laughs> I think it's important to note, though, how special education has evolved over the last 40 years. You know, it's not the same thing that it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, you know, I so I was 35 when I had my son. So he's 11. So, yes, people, I'm 46. So (laughs) um, but when I was originally making the push for special Education three years ago, maybe it was three and a half years ago. I don't know. It was three years ago when I was originally making that push for special education identification for him. I went back in my head to my memories of the special education department when I was in an elementary school, and you know, there's that's a very prejudicial view to take, but I, that was a very scary step for me to take because. Of, it changed from when I was a little girl to what it is now, thank God. Um, An idea was a fundamental part of that change. Um, but when I first started the journey, I didn't know that. You know, and I remember being, so I, I, I did it, I got it. was about to go into the first IEP meeting, hadn't told my husband a thing. And I'm like, okay, so honey, I did this thing. <laughs> <laughs> and he's four years older than I am, which means he went through school four years before I did. And so think, knowing, knowing what I was thinking in my head, I was like, oh, oh my God, what is my husband going to say? What is he going to do? Is he going to be like, why would you stick our kid in special education? And he said the most profound thing to me at that moment. He turned around and he looked at me. He goes, of course you did, because that's where he belongs. He learns in a certain way or he has to be taught in a special way. So of course it has to be special education because he's not going to get that in gen ed because they they've bought into the wrong curriculums. They're never going to teach the kid how to read. We already know that.
1: that and I was amazing. like, oh my God. How'd you get that so fast? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, absolutely. I, my, uh, my oldest daughter, older daughter of two, um, she's uh, gifted, very gifted and has ADHD and i I mean in my opinion it, it's the same thing. She should be in special education too. it's not it's just she needs to be taught in a different way and ever since she's been in um a class with kids who are a little bit more like her and a little quirkier like her it, it's been it's been better, and she's um, just had a lot of growth and because you know she, she learns differently. She, she says a lot of weird things, <laughs> really cool things. Like, like I, I love how she is, but she's she on a different level and, you know, so she, she needs to be taught a little bit differently. And um, yeah, so I, I think in a lot of states, they're actually, um, they are considered special education. Um, mm-hmm. classes, so.
0: so any final, so, Did we say I know we talked about it before we went live and now I can't remember if we actually said it or not. So one of the things we did want to say is a number of cases are applied to the Supreme Court on an annual basis. Excuse me. But not that many cases are accepted by the Supreme Court to be heard. So the fact that Andrew F. actually made it to them. For people to stand in front of them and argue a case in front of them is a very profound thing because it really is so rare, if you think about it.
1: it um, absolutely, absolutely, and that was kind of going back to what we were saying about oh my goodness, like all the like all these eyes are on yeah. this issue that affects my kid that I feel like nobody cares about, and. Yeah. and um, you know, I'm in this community, so I guess I feel like my people could care about it, but overall, and if I wasn't in the community I'm in, I mean, I would, I would feel very, very alone. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as as parents of kids with special needs, I I think we we do feel alone um, sometimes anyway, but, um, but yeah, and I was trying to find the, the, the stuff on how many cases are accepted. I just know that it is a very, very low percentage of the cases that are submitted. And I also know that for the attorney, it's a lot of work to submit the case and knowing that you're probably not going to get accepted. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a big deal. I did want to say one thing just to because I know we've been kind of talking and I want to make sure that I give um, just some uh, recommendations or something um try to be solution-oriented um, <laughs> i don't think i was um as much as i like to be earlier um so with respect to you know the complexity of uh, dyslexia in my opinion um i don't know if you think it's complex anymore but i do um i do <laughs> just remember and not you personally but just just, it, I think it would be helpful to keep in mind that for everyone that um, after an FIE, um, after the school evaluates, there is always the option to ask for an IEE, which is the independent educational evaluation, and then go find someone who um, you trust who can look at these things and give you a second opinion. And bring that to the school, so you can um the school doesn't have to go by it and implement mm-hmm. the recommendations or agree with everything they say, but they do have to consider it. And I would argue that they should consider it in good faith. Um, I, I don't know if I would move on to that, but yeah, um, because uh, it, that is important. And um, I actually, I think we talked about this did a due process, uh, my first one. On um, IES and how important they are, and looked at a lot of case law, and um, very important. I know the Supreme Court has said, you know, how important it is that parents are armed with that second opinion, so that they have the information they need to go in and discuss their child, and not just mm-hmm. giving everything over to the school um, to say, you know, we evaluated this, is what we found, this is what your kid needs. And so, definitely, if you're not real happy with the evaluation the school gave go get that IEE. it's um really not i mean i really don't even see it as that big of a deal i wouldn't go get it just to get it because it is expensive for the school and i don't want school to have to pay for something they shouldn't they don't need to pay for they've got a lot of other stuff to pay for but if it's going to be helpful, absolutely. That is your right. That's one of your um, your rights is to go get that IEE. And um, I think we talked about that earlier, how that process works, but um, I always, always suggest that.
0: And I, and I agree. And based off of what somebody that I know very specifically went through in her district, but I tell parents that I talk about getting IEs with is I say, look at your school and when you tell them you're getting an IE, ask them for the rules of engagement. And what I mean by that is this particular person that I'm referring to went and got, you know, she said, I want an IE. Mm-hmm. The school said, okay, sure. She went, she got the evaluator that she wanted. Mm-hmm went and got the IEE. The evaluator said everything that the parents had been saying that the school, it was in direct contradiction to the school's evaluation. Mm -hmm. And then they get into the meeting where they're supposed to review the IEE and the school says, we reject it. We're not going to consider it. And she said, why not? And they said, well, you didn't do an in-class evaluation. And she said, excuse me. (laughs) Um, She ended up winning. But it took several meetings and um, engaging an advocate and just a lot of temerity on the part of the parent and um, planning with me as well of what I know about IDEA and they ended up they ended up making a mistake that I went that's your crux right there and you tell them that the IE is still on the table because they just said this and that no so. They can't reject the I.E. and stick it back in there, and so she did, and she won. But because of that, um, and she she consults with parents as well. And because of that, what we tell parents all the time is, go get an I.E. if you feel like you need to have an I.E. But look at the school and say, what is it? What tell me all of the criteria that you are going to require in order for you to consider the I.E. Because I don't want to go get it and come back, and you go, no, we're not going to consider it because of X factor.
1: Yes. Absolutely. Um, it's funny. I had a, a case um, ended up settling and I won't name the school district or anything, but um, where it, the IEE provider didn't do some things like that. And I do not remember, I think it, one of them might've been an observation, but instead of telling the parent, Hey, we're not going to consider this because, you know, there was no observation or whatever. They didn't tell the parent <laughs> and just, looked at it and didn't really consider it and, you know, wrote as much in emails internally. And, um, you know, the parent thought she had an IEE that, you know, and the school paid for it. And honestly, she kind of, uh, she, she lost out on her right to an IEE. And, um, again, that case, you know, settled <laughs> fine. And, um, it is what it is. But, um, another thing is, a lot of times the schools will send uh, kind of those rules of engagement. They will have that in their contract with the IEE provider. So, because the schools will have contracts with the IEE providers and you can request those. I mean, I don't see why that should be hard for for you to get. Um, Sometimes they just don't wanna give them to you, but um, I've gotten them. So, um, and that will kind of outline what they're supposed to be doing. And so yeah, like in, like in that case, um, I don't know if they had you know a contract or whatever, but you know, if they did, that would have been interesting to, to see what they outlined that the, the person was supposed to do. So
0: that's good to know, and I know she's gonna listen to this, so I am expecting that she'll probably send an email within about an hour of watching this asking specifically for that document. So.
1: Yeah, yeah um, sorry um, <laughs> but yeah the contract i'm already i'm going to back they have the like the rules that they'll send to the iee provider and mm-hmm. these are the things you must do you must use like the most current um, evaluation methods so you know there's like the there's list five so don't use wisc four mm-hmm. you know and um those types of things and it might go into observations but also they um, should send the parent when you request the IAE and you don't have to do it in writing but it is um, beyond recommended that you do it in writing and just you know say you disagree with the evaluation Um, I know that um, a lot of times um, you don't have to say why you disagree with the evaluation and I know that a lot of people are very very hesitant to give that information to schools like this is why I disagree. I am just the way I am, the way I roll, I am extremely, probably know this, I'm extremely transparent and I personally have no problem in my personal life or professional life and saying this is why i disagree and i have no problem with them coming back and trying to fix it um i know that there's some lost trust between the parties so you know when i have a client that has to be dealt with but i i I think personally i think it's a great idea to work with the school you know you think they did something wrong in their fie i always like to be given a second chance so and i have seen schools come back and do extra testing and fix what they did and you know and then that's actually really good for the rapport between the parties. Uh, So I, I would agree with you, but I
0: think from an unsure perspective, that's probably why people don't want to be is I know when I began this process and I very first pursued an FIE, I, I didn't go down the IE route because I already had a private diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So I knew what I was going after. Um, and FIE happened to almost word for word mirror the private diagnosis that I already had. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, I got really lucky. But I think I think I, I would I wouldn't have said that I disagree because I would have been unsure about my position because I just didn't I didn't know then what I know
1: now. And in and, and that's that's a, okay. Um I, I, I see you where you're coming from If you'll give me I'm gonna plug in this real quick because okay, give me a second it died It's a map it died so quickly and just, like <laughs> give me a second I thought I did this earlier.
0: No worries. So for everybody's still listening I hope this is helpful. We're gonna wrap up in a couple minutes but um, Holly is such a great source of information we end
1: up to usually just keep keeping on going i kind of geek out a little bit sometimes um <laughs> so for Andy, um, here's the thing with i, I need to disagree um and if you don't know why you disagree just because um it doesn't feel right it doesn't feel and, and, and i and i get that I, I really, yeah. I really get that. And that's, um, it, it's also very helpful to have other people look at this. You know, mm-hmm. we all have friends. We have friends who are, um, have uh, kids, who are kids with different special needs. And right. some of us have, you know, doctor friends or psychologist friends or, you know, whatever. Can you get, maybe get someone to kind of look at it and say, you know, or maybe ask the, the school questions about it. Like, I'm uncomfortable with this, can you answer this? Because they should have a meeting with you to go over this FIE. Right. That's helpful. Now, if you just disagree because you don't think that they were thorough, and it's very hard for you to articulate, and I, I get that. I've been doing this a little while, and you know, I sit here and say, "Oh, I want to say exactly," and and that's my my privilege to a certain extent. Like, I this is what I do, so I, I do need to be brought back. Like, you know, not everyone does this every single day. You know, personal and professional. And so, yes, I, I can see where it's going to be hard to, to say that. So, no, you don't have to say exactly why. If you're uncomfortable just because it's hard for you to articulate it, then then no, just say you disagree. Um, I guess what I was getting at more is I don't see a reason to hide the ball. And so that's that's really what I was talking about. It wasn't where it's really hard to, to explain. Um, no,
0: no, and I didn't mean to imply that because I think that you're absolutely right. And, you know, uh, I didn't know you three years ago.
1: <laughs> but like
0: I, said, I didn't have to go through the IE route, but like the, the people that I know that have taken the IE route, you know, they've, most of them have done it because they just didn't feel like it reflected their child. And, you know, they're, they're going, it they're really saying out. my kids, my, they're saying my kid doesn't need any help, but my child is more than two years behind in reading. The anxiety level is over the top. They cry every single night when they're trying to do their homework. They're shutting down. My child is slipping away from me. How can they say?
1: Well, that, in my opinion, is an absolutely valid reason to disagree. Like, yep. they came back and said, my kid doesn't need help. I know my kid needs help yeah that that might be something that's hard to put on paper and you don't want to you know pigeonhole yourself in because you don't know what they may have done um insufficiently you know or and so totally understand and i'm not saying and i'm glad you asked that it's a a really good clarification i was only you know going at you know if you've got a speech and uh you know you're you've got the, the entire gamut of everything and you're really just worried about the speech, just worried about the speech, you know? Um, but um, but a lot of times we, we aren't, you know, we, we want everything and, that, and that's valid too. So um, uh, I, mine was more of just like, I don't see a reason to hide the ball. But, right. Um,
0: and just, just to kind of give some random examples, like um, a parent goes in for an FIE or, you know, I need to stop saying if I, your parent goes in for the evaluation under idea for dyslexia, and then the school comes back and says, your child isn't dyslexic, your child is autistic. And, you know, that's the source of all the problems. So, I mean, you know, case in point, take the due process thing that's been going on in Dallas ISD for, for like the last year, even though I know of instances here within the greater Houston area as well. And then, you know, you have different cases where the child melts down in the middle of the court And it ends up being dismissed as, oh, they melted down because this was beneath them. And so the child doesn't have any problems. And the child melted down because what was being asked was too much, not because it was beneath them. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, certain things like if the child is melting down, why is the child melting down? Um, Had a conversation yesterday about... all of the behavioral issues that come up as a result of denials and how then the child gets pigeonholed from a behavioral perspective and has behavior goals, or they keep insisting on behavior goals when that's, that's an effect, not a cause. And even moving the child from a public school to a private school that may deal with their LD you may not necessarily be dealing with the cause or with the effect the emotional effect now and the long-term ramifications of those emotional effects. And this is, and I don't want to go down that rabbit hole because we're already like an hour in and we could talk about that particular piece for like an entire another hour. But there's just, I like that you brought up the fact for the IEE and I love that you want to be transparent and I completely agree with you. I want to be transparent as well. I just know at least for me in the beginning, um, and I should say I'm the youngest of three children, so i'm a little sensitive about being told that i'm wrong even though that i know that i'm really smart and i know what i'm talking I'm about always. i'm always right <laughs> you know and so uh for- fortunately i have enough knowledge at this point that if you want to tell me that i'm wrong i'm going to go okay you can't know, prove that i'm wrong because <laughs> i know <laughs> <that> I'm right <laughs> but-, but at that particular time you know if they had if they had a denied his dyslexia and B looked at me and gone, you know, you really don't know what you're talking about. I would have been like, uh, yeah, you know, but, 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 and that's a big thing that we at least encounter with the dyslexia initiative is trying to encourage the parent, you know, if your insight is going, but, but, but you, you you need to start, you don't have to tell them why just push.
1: Yeah. And, and very, Very glad you said that. And that's another one of those things that sometimes I need to be brought back because, (laughs) and I'll be honest, like I do other people's stuff way more than I do my own. But when I go to my daughters, like, I wouldn't say I'm intimidated, but I am scared for my daughter. I am, yeah, I think that. But I I do, I, I forget about the intimidation factor. And so I have to really work on being, you know, empathetic and thinking about someone walking into a room of, you know, ten people, 15, 20 people. And when I go, it's like twenty- I'm like, oh my goodness, <laughs> It's just so weird.
0: You're an attorney, they probably always have somebody present just because you're an attorney. They
1: don't they don't bring an attorney. I, I will say that I am actually my arts like they're really not it's not that big of a deal to me. Like, I am not a fighter in that way. I just get along, I, I have fun, I, I don't know. But, um, I mean, I'll do what I have to do, but um, it, it seems pretty chill to me, but I don't know. <laughs> Maybe not. So, um, but I do forget about the intimidation thing because I think when you do something over and over and over, it becomes much less intimidating and, Thanks. you know. And as parents, you know, you, you do it over and over to a certain extent, but maybe once a year, maybe twice a year, you know. And you really don't feel like you know, I always feel like I have some recourse, like I you know, and I think when you don't feel like you do or you don't know what it looks mm-hmm. like, that that can probably be scary, which again is kinda of why we're doing this and hopefully um, you know, and helping people to feel less intimidated and more you know confident and um, and, yeah, and what you just said about the about the, the, the gut and um, I am not getting the sexist right now because that I I know as a mom and I'm sure dad's had the same thing in their own way but as a mom I know like there's something and there's something I feel and, and <laughs> he's cute.
0: Somebody's needy baby, greedy baby, and is tired of me, <laughs> not paying attention to am sorry. <laughs>
1: but that gut feeling, I, I think it's real. I think it's absolutely real. And I yeah. ask my clients their gut feeling all the time. I'll ask them, and they'll give me facts. And I'm always like, no, 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 no. I, I don't want facts. I want to know what you feel. Like I want to know what you know is real, what, what's going on.
0: Definitely. So my three dogs are about to go bananas because one of them's out of the kennel and the other two are in and the sun is shining and <laughs> it's playtime. Okay. So, um, but we've talked about a lot. I think we've had a really great conversation today and I always love talking
1: to you. <laughs> I can talk way too long. I, I, can, I love this stuff, but yeah, we should do this. <laughs> we should. Um, but I'm sure that we'll
0: come up with more topics and do more. We don't have anything else planned right now, but it's just the beginning of the school
1: year. We We
0: should probably have it. I know a lot of people are asking us a lot of questions. I'm seeing it really all of, all of the dyslexia groups. We should probably have a conversation about compensatory education, but that needs to be its own session. So let's,
1: Message you about that, but there's like, um, yeah, there's a lot of things that go into that, and I've been mulling over that in my head. So um, yeah, we, we can,
0: so I'll message yeah. you. We'll schedule that one because that's a huge, huge, especially as we continue in virtual learning. Yeah, and
1: we talked about the mock, the mock up, the uh, hearing or something. So.
0: Yeah, we're definitely going to do that too. All right, but thanks for joining us, and we're going to wrap up here. And everybody, have a really great weekend. Mm-hmm.